Hi, I'm Rafa Chua, and welcome back to So Far So Good, the socially distanced podcast. On this episode, we interview Mrs. Carla Manas, an executive coach who transformed her own experience of surviving COVID-19 into a personal advocacy and vocation. This episode was originally recorded on June 8, 2020, and originally released on June 14. Music credits for this episode go out to Hat the Jazz by Twin Musicom, which is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution License. If you want to read more about the organizations mentioned in this episode, you can visit Philippine Frontliners at facebook.com slash Frontliners and join the COVID-19 support group at facebook.com slash groups slash COVID Warriors. Enjoy the episode and remember to hold on to hope in the middle of these uncertain times. How important is my plan tomorrow? Or how important is my plan next year? When today, I can't even take a breath. You know, when even the act of breathing is already a blessing. When we're confronted with bad news at every turn, it's easy to lose sight of the hope that keeps us going. I'm Rafa Chua, and I've made it my mission to share stories of hope in the midst of our uncertain times, to prove that anyone, anywhere, can do their small part today to solve even the biggest of problems. Welcome to the Socially Distanced Talk Show. Welcome to So Far, So Good. According to the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, the average human takes somewhere between 17,280 to 23,040 breaths a day. But who's counting? After all, we don't seem to be in short supply. However, in the face of the coronavirus, something as seemingly insignificant as your next breath of air can suddenly seem like the most valuable thing in the world. In today's episode, I sat down with Mrs. Carla Manas, an executive coach who transformed her own experience of surviving COVID-19 into a personal advocacy and vocation. Carla is a founder of Allies of Pinoy Frontliners, which seeks to support the people risking their lives for public safety, and COVID Warriors, a support group for those who are fighting the coronavirus or know somebody who is. Even in the face of mortality, Carla believes that every moment can still be a choice. Good evening and welcome back to So Far So Good, the socially distant talk show. Once again, my name is Rafa Chua and today I am very, very privileged to be joined by Mrs. Carla Manas, who works as an executive coach and is a survivor of COVID-19. Carla, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Rafa, for having me. Yeah, it's such a great honor. And I think when I first heard about the story of overcoming that you have, of beating back the disease and making something out of it, I thought it would be wonderful to share with the listeners to this show. So rest assured, I am very, very excited for this interview. For those who aren't acquainted with you, can you please give us a quick introduction of yourself and what you do? Okay, so I'm a mother of two. I have a 16-year-old um, daughter and I have a son who's 14 years old. And um, um, I'm a wife and I'm also an executive coach. So I support people, um, successful leaders, to be able to maximize um, themselves and create breakthroughs in their lives and breakthroughs in the lives of the people that they're with um, in their companies and in their organizations. Right. Thank you so much for that. And speaking of breakthroughs in someone's life, I think I come to understand that you've recently come to a breakthrough in your own life or at least a life-changing experience when you yourself found out that you were diagnosed with COVID-19. And now, uh, we're happy to say to have you on the show as a survivor. But can you tell us, can you give us an idea, 
How did you first feel when you got that diagnosis? The first symptoms that um, that I felt um, were um, high fever. So it was March 14, uh, March 14 I had high fever and um, a bit of back pain. And at the time, because I felt that I was confident that I was doing all the protocols. You know, as early as January, I was wearing masks. I wasn't going to public places. I was very, very careful doing all the necessary health protocols. I felt it was nothing. But because of the talks about it, a lot of um, uh, community transmissions was happening. I felt that, you know, maybe I should be careful. Um, and because I'm a controller, you know, I called my doctor and said, you know, what should I do? And my doctor said, just drink paracetamol. It's probably nothing. But just to be sure, um, because I rarely get sick, just quarantine yourself and ask your husband to move to another room. So I did. So how did I feel about, um, you know, when, when I first felt the symptoms? Um, I was very confident. Wala lang to, you know. I was like brushing it off. But at the back of my head, I was like thinking already, what if? What if? The doctor said, just just wait. So I waited for maybe a couple of days. They said, you know, just wait. The minute that you have difficulty of breathing, that's when you go to the hospital. So at first, I was confident, you know, it can't happen to me because I'm doing all the necessary protocols. But when I got to the hospital already uh, on March 17, I, I couldn't breathe. I woke up, I couldn't breathe. And I was feeling all the symptoms happening already, like shortness of breath and... Um, I had fever that wouldn't, you know, uh, be managed by the medicine and I was already experiencing cough. I had a meeting with my family the day before and I was telling them, you know, just in case. So I said, you know, tomorrow if I wake up um, still feeling bad, I'm going to go to the hospital as per the advice of my doctor already. But when I got to the hospital, I was really still hopeful that um, it was just, you know, they would just give me medicine and say, you know, stay at home, be quarantined. But when the doctor listened to my breathing, um, and because of my symptoms, um, even if I did not have any underlying uh, pre-existing conditions, they brought me in the emergency room already. And they, my doctor said, um, let's take an x-ray. So when they took an x-ray, so the doctor told me, I'm sorry, but uh, you have to stay in the hospital because you have pneumonia. I was so surprised because I've never had pneumonia. In fact, I rarely get sick. And so I didn't know the feeling that pneumonia na pala to. I, You know, my idea of pneumonia was like you really can't breathe like you're like gasping for breath and i felt naman that even if it was difficult it wasn't that bad so i was very surprised no um and parang the the doctor was very serious he's saying we're treating you like a pui um i started becoming afraid because at that time um rafa march 17 there were only three recoveries to date as for DOH. So I remember looking at, in the morning, I will remember looking at that uh, primer um, of DOH and they would have how many recoveries? It said only three. So wow, there were only three and at that time, parang mga, I think 100 or 200 na yung patients that had COVID. So I was like thinking, wow, tatlo lang yung recovery. So I was becoming afraid already. I was full of fear. I was afraid of dying. I was afraid that my plans, all my plans wouldn't push through. I was afraid of that I wouldn't be there for my kids to see them graduate, to see them get married. I was so, so much afraid my game plan wasn't going to push through my purpose. Parang I, I, just, I just found my purpose the year before. I was finally doing what I meant to do. I finally found my ikaga and then he suddenly, I'm not in control, you know, parang there's this sickness. People were dying. At that time, there were a lot of doctors that were sick. And there was just so much negative you know, news about people dying. People, It was new. People didn't know how to manage COVID. People didn't know what medicine to take. 
people didn't know what was causing the deaths. Um, they felt that they were being handled. Even people, um, what they knew, they were challenging because they thought if you didn't have any existing condition, you know, um, the, you know, you would be strong. But there were people dying, and not just in the Philippines, but all over the world. So there was just so much fear, and I was in that spiral of fear. I was in that moment where all I could think about was what could go wrong with me, with other people, with my doctors. You talk about losing your plan and well, obviously I've never gone through the experience of having COVID-19. I'm sure it's terrifying beyond imagination. I can definitely relate to that feeling as a college student who was supposed to graduate and enter the workforce this year. And now we don't even have a ceremony. We just got an email that said, that's it, it's over. So I definitely get that have that idea where you have a picture for yourself, you have a map laid out, and suddenly that map is ripped up and you feel so lost. I think at this point, most people know someone who, who has had COVID or has even died of COVID-19. The, the reality of it is very terrifying to grasp. I'd like to ask you now, how do you feel now that you're on the other side of it? And I know it is quite a journey to get there. But now that you stand as someone who's survived this, how's your perspective on it changed or what are your emotions at this moment? Right now, I just really feel, um, you know, as, as you said no, about the game plan, I'm the type of person who, you know, focuses on the doing, on the planning, right? All the in, you know, moving towards the future, planning, um, maximizing, um, you know, creating, so all of those things for the future. And suddenly, given that experience, parang it suddenly became about being, like just being in the moment, enjoying the moment. Um, and so right now, where I am right now is really just, I, there's still some anxiety, you know, I can't, I know, to be honest, I can't say that it's totally, you know, no anxiety. There will always be anxiety and I think the first part that really helped me was just to admit that, you know, I may be, I feel that I am strong and I felt that I was mentally, um, you know, strong, I was resilient, but it's still okay to have fear, you know, it's, you know, fear is not, anxiety is not just happening to people who are, are weak it's really happening to everyone because you know it's so unusual everything that's happening is unusual and and the first i think the first step that really helped me was just ac accepting you know, it's an acceptance that you know this happens we can't control what's happening and we have to be able to i have to be able to honor what i'm feeling and to accept that it's okay it's okay to be anxious uh, i'm a 50 year old who thought that you know i was uh, in control and suddenly you know everything's changed and so um, it's okay to be anxious so where I am now I think I'm more um, I feel that I'm more trusting I'm happier because I I'm not so focused on the future while I you know I'm I, I want to be able to work for the future but right now it's really just about the beingness it's about staying um, losing that game plan as you said losing that game plan um, but knowing that it's okay not to have a game plan today and maybe the game plan is just to be to be in this moment how do you maximize yourself your talents to be able to support and uplift the lives of others in in a small way even if you can't go out even if it's not the way you're used to be doing doing things but you can make a difference so so the game plan is really just taking each day as it comes and and being able to maximize my talents to be able to help other people in a small way it doesn't have to be in a grand way so it can be a small gesture towards a grab driver who's delivering something or a can-can driver who's delivering something in the house or somebody who just needs a little help um, an advice um, or just even to talk about your experience 
So I guess where I am now is I'm happier uh, knowing that, you know, I don't always have to be worried about the future and that it's just, it's about today. It's about the present. It's about enjoying what we have. Um, because, you know, all my plans, they flew out the window. Even big businesses, as you know, economies, you know, economies went down, stock markets, you know, um, went down, governments, big businesses, they couldn't open their factories, they couldn't open their business, their sales went down, restaurants, um, people who had so much felt that, you know, they had amassed wealth, they had amassed influence, they had amassed power, it all went down the window. Pantay-pantay lang tayo. I mean, at the end, no amount of money, no amount of power, no amount of influence, or no amount of preparation can change the fact that it can hit you like that. We can't in insulate ourselves, you know, just because we feel that, you know, we can take care of ourselves. But because we're so connected to each other, everything that we do impacts other people. And what they do impacts us, you know. So we're, we're part of a system. And this system is something that we need to be take care of. You can't isolate and say, you know, I'm just going to be in my room or be in my house and isolate myself. Because at the end of the day, um, I thought I was taking care of myself. And yet, you know, parang I just go out one time and that's it. You get hit. And I had to rely on a system, a network of people to help the people who prayed for me, prayed with me, the doctors who were supporting me. I remember reading somewhere that the term social distancing might actually be misleading because while we're actually physically distanced or physically isolated, that network of people, our interrelationships with other people is now more important than ever. And I think that's something that you're getting at. I'm also fascinated with this idea you brought up about beingness. It's almost yeah. philosophical now, but yeah. I think uh, that's very comforting for me to hear because as someone who um, graduated and was thinking that I'd make something big of myself afterwards, I think there's a constant pressure that a lot of people are feeling that I have to execute my plan somehow, that I have to make a mark, that I have to do something phenomenal, even though I'm in the middle of the quarantine. And that's a huge aspiration to live up to that doesn't give any credit to the feelings of fear that you're having inside. So I think that acknowledgement that sometimes you need to exist, <laughs> you just need to survive. Um, that's something that's difficult to come to terms with, but is healthy in a way. I can resonate with you when you talk about like the pressure of you know making your mark and doing something. Even at fifty, you know we still have that pressure. You know how can we do more, be more, do more, contribute more? You know it's all about being more. But sometimes being more, being less is actually being more. You know when less is more. Why do I say that? When confronted with um, all my plans, and and in the hospital when just the act of breathing was difficult you know suddenly how important is my plan tomorrow or how important is my plan next year when today i can't even take a breath you know when even the act of breathing is already a blessing um you know how how, how suddenly it loses its importance you know para i put so much weight on the doingness rather than the beingness when at that particular moment you know, just I took for granted the breath. The breath is really about honoring yourself in the moment, right? It's really like about being mindful about the moment, it's being grateful about what you have. And so, I know it's so, so cliche when you know you have to worry about so many things your job, your economy, your impact, your, your world, you know. But at the end of the day, how important is that when at that particular moment when I was there and I couldn't even breathe? You know, and I realized that, wow, today now is like 
every breath that I could take, you know, it was really painful. Like you could really feel like there's this rubber band uh, tightening your chest. And like, so like if you feel like a compression in your chest, like somebody's like choking you and you take a breath. And it, every, like, you can really literally feel that breath going in, that oxygen going inside your, your mouth, in your lungs, and every small oxygen. You know, you kind of feel it. And when you're really faced with that, how difficult it was. And suddenly you you realize, wow, it's such a blessing. Something that I took for granted. You know, breath, you know, you wake up in the morning, you don't think, I'm gonna take a breath today. You just do it, right? It's so unconscious, right? You don't say, wow, thank you for the breath because it's just so unconscious. You're walking, you don't even think I'm gonna breathe today because it's just so natural. It's just a gift that's given. And sometimes, just like the breath that we take for granted, we also take for granted that there's just so much gift that we have already. Our life is a gift. Our talents is a gift. Just being here talking to you is a gift already. So when we go to that moment where we think that now every, every moment is now a gift, you know, and everyone to be able to make the choice, suddenly the anxiety of, okay, what's going to happen tomorrow? Or what am I going to do? How can I make an impact? Suddenly the anxiety diminishes because suddenly it's not so important because you just have to get through the breath. We're always faced with challenges, whether you're young, like you, just starting out from college, um, people who are in their mid-career, people who are married, different muscles in their lives, people who are, are mid, mid-life crisis already or mid-stage in their life. You know, we're all faced with different challenges. Some more serious than others. Some people, um, their challenge is what to eat today how to feed their family, how to feed their children, some people how to live, some people feel lonely and their worry is, um, their challenge is how to connect to people, how to find somebody to talk to. Um, Some people feel um, how to make an impact, so different challenges. And I think what's important is how do we, you know, how do we think about these challenges? Because our thoughts will affect our feelings how we feel about things and our feelings will affect the way we act or we behave. I felt that I had a good relationship with the Lord. Um, I was prayerful. I was doing all the rituals. And yet when I got there, I realized that I still needed to work on my personal relationship with Him, um, on how to be able to surrender that control. Um, as you said, you know, I had a game plan. You know, I, I, I was praying to the Lord. The Lord was part of my game plan. but. I felt that I was still in control. I wanted to be in control, but I felt um, at that particular time when I couldn't control anything, even my breath, I couldn't control that. I realized that there was only one person who was in control and he, God, God is in control. And the minute that I realized that and I surrendered to to him, I I accepted him as my personal um, savior. That was when I, I felt lighter i felt that um the anxiety disappeared i felt at peace you know i was so afraid um rafa it was funny you know how afraid of i was um i was so afraid to sleep i was even afraid to put my hands on my chest sleeping because it mimicked like you're in the coffin that was how afraid i was you know my thoughts was all about fear i didn't want to sleep because um, i was thinking early in the morning is when people die and you know, most of the time, if you look at the research, people die early in the morning, like death 
you know, gets them early in the morning. So I was so afraid, you know, pag mga madaling araw na I would wake up, you know, because I didn't want to die yet. Um, and so I wouldn't sleep. Um, I would I would normally sleep during the day and not at night. Um, but, you know, I kept on praying. And one time I woke up early morning, um, like 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and I saw um, a cross across me, across my bed. And in the silence, all I could hear was my thoughts. I could hear my thoughts about fear and not being afraid. And I just said, you know, I'm so tired of being afraid already. Um, I just wanted to pray. And so I prayed. I prayed to, to um, I kept on praying prior, but suddenly now the prayer was really about personal. You know, it was really just talking to him about my fears, talking about, you know, my my game plan, my anxiety. How could I make a difference? You know, how could I live my purpose if I didn't have a life anymore? You know, God, why are you gonna take my life? It was all about, I just really ranted. I really poured out everything. I was talking to him as if he was just really there in the room and I was like telling him, Lord, you know, um, I kept on praying the past days to give me 10 more years. You know, to, to give me more life, to, 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 to give me, give me more, give me what I wanted. And suddenly I realized, but what I really needed was just to surrender. So I just, you know, my prayer was simple. Lord, I leave it up to you. If you take me today, and that's your will, thy will be done. You are in control. You take me today, I'm okay. I will surrender to you. You know what is best for me. And if you take me today, I know that you're going to put me in a better place. And you will take care of my kids. You will take care of my husband. You will take care of my family. You will take care of my legacy. You will take care of everything. And the minute that I surrendered to him and I just accepted him, that is when I felt the peace. Um, and so now, of course, anxiety will always be there. I mean, I, I'm not going to lie and say, you know, every day I wake up and it's like, wow, everything is a bed of roses, you know. It's not. But I'm more, um, I guess I realize that it's okay to be afraid, it's okay to feel anxiety, but what's more important is what you do after you recognize or you accept that, you know, what's the next step? Is it about helping other people? Is it about making use of my talents, my relationships, um, asking for help to be able to help other people? Or will I wallow in my self-pity or I will, will I wallow in my fear? As someone who's a bit of a control freak myself when it comes to my life, uh, you just said a bunch of things which I needed to hear right now. So thank you for that. I, I don't think I'll ever understand. I hope I never come to understand how terrifying it is to live with fear of your own life, with fear that the next breath you might take might be your last, so to speak. I think it's a moment that shakes you to your core. Um, in my volunteer work before, I've worked with children who have dealt with chronic illnesses, who are much younger than me and don't know how much longer they have to live. And I think a common sentiment they have is something very close to what you shared, that you have to derive joy from the small things which you still can hold to yourself. I think that, again, that's a scary thing because we want to be in control of the big things. We want to enjoy the big things. But it turns out that when you're at the edge, right, it is the smallest moments, taking your next breath, being able to breathe without struggle, that you realize are actually things of value. So. That's a realization that I wish we all could come to without having to go through such experiences of suffering. But that's usually where it's found. I want to talk about what you mentioned. You said making an impact, finding a way to help out others. And I think that's one thing which I find really inspiring about your story. That despite being in a situation that brought you very low and made you even question your own mortality. After coming out of your recovery, uh, you decided to make it not really about yourself but about other people. Um, after you recovered, you started raising funds 
with allies of Pinoy frontliners as a way of sort of giving back to those which you saw as risking their lives to fight this disease. Could you tell me more about how you got to that point where you decided to help the frontliners out? Actually, I started um, helping the frontliners. I, I started that advocacy when I was in the hospital. So when I was um, admitted to the hospital, I overheard um, some nurses talking about um, um, that they couldn't go home. Um, because the people, the next shift, they couldn't get there because it was an ECQ, modified uh, ECQ, and there was no transportation. It was the first day, March 17, there was no transportation. So people couldn't get to the hospital and they couldn't go home. So they said that you know they were going to sleep over, there was a war that was given to them, like a dorm. And so I asked them, you know, so being a woman, I asked them, so how about your toiletries? You know, I mean, do you have like toiletries, shampoo, conditioner, soap, etc. And then she goes, um, we don't have anything because we didn't know we were going to stay here. So we have a change of clothes, but that's it. And I go, okay, so do you need toiletries? And he goes, yes, um, we need hygiene kits. And I go, okay, how many people are in the ward? Or how many? So she, we called the HR and they said they needed about 100 kits. And then she said, ma'am, if you're going to do something, can you also include my friend in East Avenue? Because apparently her nurse friend was also in East Avenue who hadn't been able to go home for two days and who also, you know, was missing out on toiletries already because they couldn't go out. They were on like 16-hour shifts and they couldn't go out to buy and there were no stores that are open anyway. So where will they buy, right? So nobody could send them anything. So I said, okay, sige, I'll try. So that was March 17. I called a friend. I was very, very um, uh, anx- uh, nauseous at the time and um, I was dizzy. So I couldn't really type. So what I did is I asked a friend of mine to make me a poster. So I said, you know, can you just make me a poster to ask, um, uh, to ask for help? And so I she, she made me uh, help me make a poster. Um, and then I called a friend who said, you know, I can't buy anywhere. Um, and we had a friend who owned the grocery store. And I said, can you call that friend and ask, can I buy? I don't have the do- the donations at the moment now, but I'm gonna pay for it in advance. And if, if somebody wants to donate, then I'll use that. If not, then it's okay. I'll just pay for it out of my own pocket. Bahala na. I mean, God will provide. Bahala na. Even if I didn't have that much funds, okay na. Bahala na. So, um, my friend sent me the poster. So, the next day, March 18, um, I put up that poster on my Facebook and people responded. In that same, uh, that day, I was able to raise 300 hygiene kits for both um, East Avenue and uh, Makati Med. So a friend of mine, um, a good Samaritan, helped get the hygiene kits. Um, and then a friend of mine delivered the, a part of that. The, they put it together and then we were able to give it. So that started the ball rolling. It was just to, supposed to be one time. So just one time. So I was able to give 300 kits on March um, 18 through um, the help of some friends. Um, and so it was it. I was focusing on my recovery, focusing on getting well, you know, trying to eat as much. But people just kept on giving more. And then I celebrated my birthday uh, in the hospital, March 20. And a friend of mine who shared the same birthday said, you know, I want to help. Can I help you raise funds? I know that you can't really post anything. You know, it's hard for you to reach out because you're sick. But can I be the one to do that? And can we work together? And I go, sure. So she did. Her name is Arlene Tai. A second wave happened because she asked her friends to donate. We were able to buy more. And another second wave happened. We were able to send, at that time, surgical gloves, masks, soaps. Some people donated handmade soaps. So it just kept on coming. So while I was in the hospital, when I was sharing uh, my story, um, I wasn't really going on public. I, 
I told people I was sick, but I didn't tell them of how because I was afraid of the stigma. At that time, it was all so new and I was afraid of being judged na I didn't take care of myself too much or, you know, what did I do to get um, COVID positive? So I wasn't really sharing until um, a friend of mine, um, my brother actually, also told me, you know, I was telling your story um, to my friends and apparently a lot of people were not going out of their homes. They were sick. Uh, or they were in the hospital, they weren't saying their story because they were afraid also. And when I shared to them what you were doing, like with, um, at that time it was not called Ala yet, it was just really a fundraising to raise hygiene kits. When I was sharing to them about what you were doing and how you were focusing your energy on other people rather than yourself, they were so inspired. And so she, he told me, why don't you create a support group or why don't you go out in public to talk about your journey? And at the time, para I was not very comfortable. I don't really um, like talking about myself or I don't like posting about myself on Facebook, very rarely. Um, but at the time, um, I had a prayer group. We used to have prayer group Fridays. And then they asked me, would you like to do a prayer group? But it was a Saturday. And I go, sure. So after they prayed with me, we prayed together, we prayed for other people, I suddenly got the courage to say, I think I'm going to post. Because they were telling me that what I was sharing was inspiring for them. It allowed them to help other people. Um, to have the courage to share their own journey. And so I posted. And so that started it. When I posted, suddenly people were like, people were donating. And then um, they said, can you create a page? Um, um, go fund me a, a, a page so that we can send you donations. Uh, people did the, who I didn't know. So I said, I should think of a name. That's why the name Alay Sepinoy front, uh, Frontliners um, were born after I, um, I was discharged from the hospital. They said they were asking for like, um, to be able to promote it to their friends abroad. And I got a lot of donations from different parts of the world, from the U.S., from Europe, people I didn't know. Um, but you know, the most heartwarming donation I got, Rafa, was a vendor. Somebody I didn't know sent me a message and said, Ma'am, magbibigay ako. Maliit lang. Uh, nakakahiya sa inyo, pero gusto ko sanang magbigay. Para sa, sabi niyo kasi, Ma'am, kahit na maliit, na maliit lang, kahit piso, makakatulong. So she said, sana tanggapin mo tong, uh, tong donation ko. She donated 10 pesos. She was a vendor. The 10 pesos, I was so touched because that 10 pesos was something that she only earned like maybe 50 to 100 pesos a day. The palenque was closed. So she was like, naglalako lang siya sa kalye. And yet she was able to give out of the goodness of her heart 10 pesos. I felt so ashamed. I felt so ashamed that here I was, um, I felt I wasn't giving a lot because I was ready to to stop my donation drive already. I needed to recover because I tested positive again. So after being negative, I, I was in the house. I tested positive again. So it was like being sick again. And and so I was like saying, maybe I shouldn't spend so much effort on this fundraising. I should focus on myself. But when I got that donation, it was just God. It was just like God talking to me, reminding me that, you know, the little that you do, it doesn't have to take so much effort. Everything that you do, even if it's just one peso, can help other people. Imagine 10 pesos from a vendor who's probably just earning 50 to 100 pesos. That 10 pesos was talaga a sacrifice for her. And here I was. I was in my room. I was comfortable. People were giving me food. And yet I was saying I should stop my donation drive because I needed to stay, you know, to keep to focus on getting better. I felt so ashamed. So, parang, wow, uh, how could I even stop helping other people? The true charity is really when, when you give until it hurts. 
not just you give because it's comfortable for you. I realized that you know the, our frontliners they sacrifice so much. They sacrifice so much to be able to help people like me, to help people like me get better. But their sacrifice puts them them in danger. Um, they're not able to enjoy time with their family because they're in the hospital. When they get home, they can't even eat with their family because they might infect their family. So they have to stay in a separate room or stay far away from their family. So one of the doctors uh, and the nurses that I talked to, they were saying that they can't even be with their families because being with their family would put their families in danger. Yes, it's their job. But for them, it's it's not even just a job. Eh? You could feel it in every touch, in every day that they go to work, in every um, God bless or gesture that they give. It's really a sacrifice for them. It's a vocation. Um, it's a devotion already. And so I wanted to just honor them in the little thing that I could do, in a in small way that I could um, help them by at least protecting them. Because a lot of our frontliners, at the time when I was doing about 17% of the people who had gotten sick of COVID in the Philippines, 17% were frontliners. Today, uh, as of yesterday, it's only 13%, but still, still a lot. So for every 100 that would get sick, 13 of them would be frontliners. And every time a frontliner gets sick, it's normally because they lack the protective gear. Um, to be able to ensure that they don't pick it up from any of their patients. So I wanted to be able to support them um, in my little way, in, in my friends. Um, if we can send them, you know, gloves, masks, um, PPE gear, then at least, you know, face shields, at least we can help protect a frontliner's life. Because for me, on a personal level, they helped save my life. God and the frontliners helped save my life. Right. Thank you so much for that sharing. You know, I, I was just about to share something profound, but then I real I, I had this intrusive thought that God in the Frontliners is a great name for a rock band. So <laughs> I just came in there. But yeah, um I think what you shared, um, that sentiment especially, that we should give beyond what is comfortable, is such a powerful thought. I I can remember the last time I felt that way. I, I was lucky enough to be able to go on immersion for my school trip before this whole lockdown happened. And I remember going there to a fisher folk village in Rizal. And I lived in a house uh, with one of the fisher folk. And I, one thing that always strikes me about the experience is that their house was cut in half because her sister came in from the province and they had nowhere to stay. So they gave half the house and it was so cramped in there. And me being a six-foot guy, <laughs> I, I had to like crouch everywhere. And the whole time I was thinking, wow, that's amazing. Uh, to give to the point of being uncomfortable literally or figuratively or emotionally. That's such a powerful and humbling experience, and that sounds like precisely what you've gone through yourself. I guess now I want to ask, because a common theme in the show uh, that I tackle is how people bring their own background and their own experience to helping others out. So um, I know your background is that you work as an executive coach and consultant, and you've previously worked in media as a senior executive. Um, were you able to bring any of those learnings to, uh, from those experiences in the volunteer work and the fundraising that you eventually got into? Um, yeah, um, definitely help, no? Um, but it's all about the soft skills. Number one, it's really about um, resilience. Is that while I, 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 I lost, totally lost my game plan, there's another way to help. Like, my idea of helping was physically being there, right? Um, um, doing things, but I didn't have any hands or legs. I couldn't go out of my room. So it's about pivoting, um, looking for support. In this case, my family, my husband, my two kids were the, my support to convince them to pack 
um, the donations to help me. There was no logistics, so I was able to um, to um, to convince a, a good Samaritan to help pick pick up at no cost, pick up at no cost and deliver to the hospitals. So resilience is very important. It's how you are able to create um, something out of a challenge. Um, was very important. Number two is really perspective. You know, as, as I er- shared earlier, um, our thoughts um, influence our feelings, and our feelings influence our behavior. And that's something that um, that I teach in my program. Um, yet faced with that, sometimes you realize that when you're faced with a bigger challenge, your first instinct is to flee, right? You know, to feel afraid, to flee. Um, that's the instinct, you know, that's a survival instinct. And so it's it's being aware. So one of the things that uh, I'm able to harness from my life experience is to be able to be aware that it's okay to be afraid, it's okay to experience anxiety, but it's also to draw up from the strength that you can shift. You can shift that fear, that feeling of fear about myself to hope. And how did I do that? It's really about... Um, focusing my attention on how I could help. Because if I look at myself from a perspective of, as you said, um, impotence, like you feel, you know, you can't do anything. You're too small. You know, I'm sick. I'm in my room. I can't even go out. I can't even prepare my own meals. I can't even walk to the bathroom alone on my own. Um, You kind of feel that impotence. And if I focus on that impotence, the more that I won't be able to do anything. But if I focus on what's possible, right, rather than what's impossible, so what, possi- what was possible was for me to be able to give even if it's a small amount, to be able to ask for help, to be able to convince other people to support me. It's not what you're used to, um, what you feel should be, how you pivot and, and, and um, um, be creative in a way that you can still create impact, positive impact in the lives of others. Maybe not in the way that you want, you're used to, um, but it maybe in a different way. And um, the third is really, you think that, as, you know, you were, what struck me when you were sharing, Rafa, is like, you're so young and yet you want to create positive impact. You want to make your mark, you know. Um, it's funny because as you go through life like me, who's now 50 years old, so um, I've gone through 50 years of my life and you're just at 21, is that that same feeling never goes away. We always want to be able to live our purpose. We always want to create impact, right? But my realization is, even going through the many years of corporate experience um, that I've, you know, the many years of corporate experience that I've had, is that it's really not just about the end goal. It's not about the target, but it's about enjoying the journey. It goes back to the beingness. It's really enjoying every moment because you don't know if tomorrow is going to be your last moment. As you said, you don't know if the this breath that I'm taking will be the last breath that, that I will take. So it's really just about maximizing every moment. So when I was in the hospital, I, I, I figured if this is the last moment I'm going to have, if I'm going to die today, then I want to be able to make the most out of my life. And that's why I said instead of just not doing anything instead of focusing on my sickness I wanted to just give and so if at least I know that if I left this world I left it being able to do good 
um, contributing something, even if it's just a small. Because what I, you know, there were so many people doing a lot of things. And I could have stopped at that and said, marami na naman gumagawa eh. But every little thing makes a difference. It's like a room full of darkness. When it's so dark, you just light a candle. That candle will make a difference. So you asked me about what's my greatest takeaway for my corporate job. You know, what, what, what helped me in my fundraising and everything. And uh, what I realized is really about leadership. What leadership is all about. And we have this concept about leadership, about hitting targets. It's about creating plans, right? But leadership is about doing good. It's about creating impact. So I guess the challenge there for a lot of our leaders, especially in this time of the pandemic, is that how do we maximize our leadership skills, our corporate experience, to be able to do good, to be able to support other people who may be in need? How do we pivot ourselves to be able to contribute, um, not just to our companies, but to our community? And it doesn't have to be be all or end all. Like you think, if you're in corporate, you can't do good. Or if you're in um, like social civic organization, you can't earn a lot, right? But you can actually merge it, right? You can actually have a enterprise um, that can do good, right? But still earn money and still support the employees. And so um, that feeling that you have to go through life to make a difference. My realization is that you don't have to go through life. You can be young, you can be three years old, four years old, five years old, 21 years old, or 50 like me. Everyone can make a difference in our own small way. It doesn't have to be big. Sometimes we get paralyzed with, um, you know, that analysis paralysis. You get so paralyzed with, it has to be big. It has to be grand. The gesture has to be grand. It has to be great. It has to be well-planned. But in the moment where you just have to be and you have to just do, then you realize that what's more important is the intention rather than the outcome. If we focus on the outcome so much, we're filled with so much anxiety. You know, that, you know, because everything has to come out well, everything has to, you know, the, the way it's supposed to be based on my own perspective. But if we focus on the intention of what we want to create, then even if the action changes, the intention is still the same. And so we focus on the intention, we can manifest what we want to create. When you think of the word manifest, I think that's such a powerful word because it's literally turning your dreams, your idea, your intention into something that can be held or felt, mm-hmm. something tangible. Even, a, well, not really physically tangible, but tangible as in people can feel it and can say it's real even if they can't see it with their eyes. I think that your message here is very powerful because it's true. Um, if we always live our life waiting for the moment where we're going to have impact, where one day you're going to wake up and say, hey, I've made it. Uh, hey, um, I've changed the world. That moment may never come. But if in every single instance, even when you're doing the grunt work, even when you're doing the dirty work or the unglamorous work, if in every moment there you can say, I'm filling this moment with my intention, that this moment is purposeful and it's a moment where I'm fully alive, fully aware, and fully manifesting what I believe in, then no matter what happens in the end, even if, say, your life gets cut short, you can say that you lived it well, I think, and that you were able to find meaning in it. That's, that's really such a beautiful sentiment. I, I love what you were talking about, about manifesting. And it actually ties in perfectly to what you were saying earlier, how there's intentionality in everything, how every moment is a choice. And actually, to extend your metaphor and combine it a bit, how every breath, how taking every breath is also a choice in its own way. So um, it's been such a wonderful interview so far. I've learned a lot. 
but it looks like we're down to our last question. Before we leave, I just want to ask you, do you have any message that you'd like to put out for um, the listeners of the show? So um, I guess my, my last piece of advice is to go back to what I said, is that every moment's a moment of choice. And so if every moment's a moment of choice, I'd like to encourage everybody to, to really come from gratitude. Because when you look at things from a perspective of gratitude, suddenly everything is enough. And so it will build trust, uh, it will build hope. Um, to be able to have hope that no matter how difficult this pandemic is, how challenging it is, it has lost, we have lost lives, it has claimed lives, it has affected jobs, it has instilled fear, it's, it has divided physically people. But a lot of good things have happened because of it. It has brought us closer to each other. It has built connections even through those square screens on our computer or on our phone. Um, it has allowed us to be more reflective and to come from within. It has shown us the goodness of humanity that despite the chaos, despite the challenges, despite the death, um, the, the good will always prevail. Because every moment is a choice, let's choose to, to live that light within us to be able to support others. Um, and I hope that you can support our advocacy. Um, Allies sa Pinoy Frontliners who are found on um, Facebook. We have a link. Um, if you can share anything, it can be um, your time, money, um, goods. We'd really appreciate it. Um, we'd like to be able to help the frontliners in any way that we can. It can be a message, a letter, anything that will give them hope, anything that will encourage them because they do feel tired also. They feel afraid. They also feel um, you know, sometimes alone. We also have a support group um, called COVID Warriors. And if you are feeling alone, if you know anyone who's going through COVID and don't know um, how to manage um, or supporting anyone who has COVID, we're, uh, the COVID Warriors is there as a free resource to be able to support um, you in your time um, of need, in your time of doubt. Um, please feel free to reach out um, to us. At the time when you really feel that you're down and you feel that you want to give up, don't. Because there will always be something that you can be grateful for. Every moment, as I said, everyone's a moment of choice. And there will always be something to look, um, to be happy about in the simplest moments of our lives, even in the breath, even in the walking, even in the gift of friendship. Uh, in the gift of our conversation, I'm able to pick up something and it's very inspiring. At a 21-year-old, you're so mature for your age. Uh, I wish at 21 years old, um, I had the opportunity that you had. Um, and You know, I, I'm looking forward to what more you can do, Rafa, uh, in your life. And you see, um, you entered, um, you, you opened up um, this conversation with, um, you had a game plan of how you know, how you can make an impact in the lives of others, how you can make your mark, and you feel that you didn't even graduate. I mean, you didn't even have a formal graduation and how your game plan went out the window. But you know, today, just at this moment, you're making an impact. It doesn't have to be in the future. It doesn't have to be in the way we envisioned ourselves to be making a mark. Um, every moment is a way to be able to make a mark. I hope that we can all, in our little way, um, choose to be the light that sparks positivity and hope in other people. And if we feel, because I, I'm not, 
I'm not perfect and no one is. And just to forgive yourself, you know, you know, shake shake it off and say, you know, tomorrow's another day. Uh, there's another moment later that I can uh, uh, make a different choice because you are not defined by the choices that you make. You are defined by the actions that you've done and the impact that you've made on other people. So let's all continue to spread kindness and love and not the virus. Yes, that's a beautiful sentiment. And uh, for those of you who are wondering, I will be posting links to Allies of Pinoy Frontliners and also COVID Warriors here in the description and the end of the video. So please check that out, especially if you want to help out or if you need some support yourself. There's nothing wrong at all with being vulnerable. I'd also like to thank you, Carla, for well, the inspiring message. I mean, as much as I've, I'm very privileged, I'm very grateful to have made an impact on you, rest assured, you've also made a big impact on me. It was wonderful talking to you and it has lifted up my spirits, even in a time where, personally, I'm feeling a bit afraid. So thank you for that. Um, today's interview, there's a lot to take in, but I think what will really stay with me is that in this time of coronavirus, where we're not sure if we'll be the next ones to be infected, if it'll be someone who we know, when the value of life is becoming so muddy and we're not sure what's going to happen next. I think the most important thing, as you've said, Carla, is to really hold on to every moment and make sure that every moment, um, whether it be something that we'll regret in the future or whether it be something that we're going to be happy about in the future, is a, at least one where we apply our power to make a choice and to manifest what we're feeling. In short, um, I hope that everyone listening to this can take that away, that they can make every breath, they can make every moment a choice, even a personal one, even when the world around you seems to be spinning out of control. And thank you so much for sharing that with me today. Until next week, we'll see you next Sunday. But until that moment, this is so far so good. And may you live every moment with intentionality. Thank you so much for being on the show, Carla. Thank you.